I first met April Norwood at um, the women's retreat in uh, Walker Creek, and I didn't see her before I heard her. <laughs> and it was her laugh that um, that woman had a big laugh. She knew how to laugh. And she didn't mind being loud about her laughter either. And if I can share what Sister Florence said earlier during our prayer time is that we played her favorite song on Friday, a Sunday, last Sunday, which was, I mean, when she heard this song, I give myself away, she would just be so filled with the Holy Spirit that she would just cry out in the service. And um, we sang it on, on last week, interestingly. Okay, well, we'll miss her. And I just have to extend, I can't get up here without extending my gratitude to everybody who just helped out and came to our little gathering, our small gathering, our humble gathering. James and the band played just magnificently. And Homa made this Afghani chutney that is just incredible. A little on the hot side. But very good. And I mean, I, I can't single out everybody. Brother Carlos made a wonderful cake. We have a, a glass dish for a, a round cake that was made. I don't know who that dish belongs to, but oh, Gloria, the glass dish. So you were responsible for that round cake because everybody was really happy about that one. And of course, Gloria, you don't I just have to tell you on Gloria. She asked me, what, what would you like me to bring? I said potato chip cookies, because of course. And then she said, well, but what kind of cake would you like? So I said, a strawberry cake. Did Gloria bring a strawberry cake? <laughs> Gloria brought not only a strawberry cake. She, how many cakes? Five? Six? I'm not talking about little cakes. I'm talking about sheet cakes. Anyway. So grateful for all of you. You're, you're just, it just really warmed my heart to, oh, and I, what about Alice? Oh, my goodness. You should come. I took a picture of the magnificent, she, she constructed a floral design for us, which I have placed now. I've placed it in front of my fireplace. And, it, and if you want to see a picture of it, it really is exceptionally beautiful. So, I, I can't thank everybody because I'll forget somebody and then I'll hurt somebody's feelings. But thank you, everybody, for the party. And um, I wonder if I'm the only person that was raised to think that um, I have a right to my feelings. And if I get my feelings hurt, I have a right to feel that and maybe even just express it. Am I the only one that was taught that? Okay. I have a right. I have a right to express my feelings. Right? Isn't it like that? I have a... I deserve... I have a right to my feelings. Okay, well, I'm going to teach a little lesson today. I'm going to tell a personal story. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just go around your whole life and everywhere that you were speaking, Brother James was behind you playing the piano? I just wish I could live my whole life that way. That would, that would make marital relations a lot better because when I spoke to him, there'd be like this melody going on. Honey, you left 
your amplifier on the porch, did you not think about the moisture that might get into it overnight, dear? See? How nice, how much nicer that sounds. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to tell you a personal story, and then we're going to not stay in my personal story, because who cares about me? We're going to hear from God on a topic that is um, applicable to a personal story, maybe a story that will resonate with some of you. My job, my vocation, is that I am an editor. And I have lately been very successful working with a company called Readsy that has an online sort of, what do you call that, just a place where authors come when they need an editor, and I'm an editor, so I have a profile on there, and people can pick me, and I'm doing strictly Christian authors, and and um, so I get paid, Readsy gets a piece of it, and I work through Readsy, through the, their website, with the author, and um, it's been excellent. It's been really wonderful. I've met some just beautiful Christian authors that way. Well, I took on an author, and um, my routine is that when I finish chapter one, I delete the rest of the book so they don't have to look at the whole thing, and And I send chapter one, and they can review it and make comments, and then they send the comments back, and I work on that. Then when I finish chapter two, or let's say two and three, I'll delete chapter one and everything after chapter three, and I just send chapter two and three, right? And then they make notes, and we work that way. Well, I had gotten with this particular author all the way to chapters five and six before he figured out that I was deleting and he saw that I had deleted more than half of his book. And he suddenly freaked out. And he sent me an email that was extremely offensive and insulting about my integrity and what I had done, that I had taken the liberty to delete half of his book as though I didn't feel that it was worth it. So I just wanted to say, I'll I'll just read one little sentence so you can see how offended I had the right to be. He said to me, I hope you are happy with your good fortune to hustle quick and easy money from people who put their trust in you while you enjoy and deride people you see as losers. And a lot of other things. I just picked one sentence. So you you don't want to get an email like that. But yet it was so simple because all he did was just not understand that I (laughs) deleted it for his convenience and I had not abandoned the rest of his book. I take my authors very seriously. I really care about them. They, they, they're really important to me. They're my, they're the reason that I, that I edit is because I love them, and I love their voice. I want them to say what they have to say. And uh, these were assaults on my integrity and my work, my, my workmanship, and, my, and, and, and I was righteously indignant. And I was offended. So, fortunately, I have a husband. You don't know what that means, because nobody's reacting. My husband is the one who says, let's take it down a notch, honey. Come, come back from the ledge. 
Let's calm down. That's my husband. And so I said, but I have a right to my feelings. And what if he leaves me a bad review and then I'll have four stars instead of five and then the next author will. And what if, and what if, and, and he's offended me and I, I want an apology and, 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 and. Right? Right? Calm down. Calm down. Why don't we pray for him? Here's how the prayer went. Lord Jesus, I know how much trust it takes for an author to put their precious work that they've worked so hard on into the hands of a perfect stranger that is their editor. How much faith that takes and how vulnerable the author feels after they've done that. They feel fear of being judged. They feel fear that they're not good enough. They feel fear that they're going to be put down or ridiculed by the editor. That they're going to be corrected and all the mistakes are going to show. And it's a very vulnerable place for an author to be. So, Lord, I, I know that this is what he's reacting to. And I just lift him up before you that you would just give him peace in his heart that everything in his book is going to be okay. That was my prayer. And here's what Jerry said. He said, that's what you tell him. So I wrote him a note. Dear, hmm, I know how much trust it took for you to, etc. All the things that were in the prayer. I wrote that to him in a gentle tone with no recrimination and not asking for an apology or anything. But I couldn't have done that unless I had a wise husband to counsel me through that. So he quickly saw that he had freaked out over nothing, and he said, please forgive me. So there was an offense. Let's call that a thorn. If I had reacted to that offense... What about my integrity as, a, as an editor? And you, you, you said some things. That, uh, uh, there's, there's thorn number two. That's the second thorn. Now, now he's going to have to respond. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but I, uh, 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 I thought uh, that's thorn number three. Then I have to come back. Well, yeah, but you didn't understand correctly. Uh, 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 there's thorn number four. Pretty soon we've got a whole briar patch. Is that true? Okay. So what's the big deal about just letting it go? How about don't pick up the offense? How about don't turn one thorn into a briar patch? How about that? Which brings us to the biblical teaching on these things, which is found in 1 Samuel 25. And I'll tell you a little bit of background. We won't go there quite yet. I'm going to give a little bit of background on 1 Samuel 25. In the days when King Saul had been anointed king, thank you, Brother James, Saul displeased God because Saul was disobedient. And God removed his spirit from Saul. And God chose a new king, and that was David, son of Jesse. But there was a certain period where Saul was still the king. David had been anointed king. But yet Saul remained in position as king, 
And he got so mad at David that he was chasing him around. And David spent many years fleeing from Saul in the wilderness. Saul was chasing him around trying to kill him. And David was living as a fugitive with a band of his men. He was hiding from Saul. Now, during that time, David was offering protection to the people in the countryside in exchange for tribute, kind of like what gangs or what, what, no, the mafia, kind of like a thing like that, sort of like a mafia thing. We'll protect you, you give us a little peace. But what it was was he was protecting the countryside from the marauders and from invaders, and they would give him provision, and it was It was a mutually beneficial relationship. On one occasion, David uh, requested provision from a man named Nabal. Now, Nabal was uh, out. It was sheep shearing season, and he had all his men in the field there with all the sheep. And they went through a whole season. He must have had quite a few sheep. They're doing all the shearing at this time, and Nabal had lots of provisions to take care of his men. Well, David sent a messenger and asked if uh, Nabal would share some of that with David and David's men. And he had good reason to do that because, as we read, David had been protecting them. David's men were respectful of Nabal's men. And so there was a good reason that, that David could expect Nabal to reciprocate with some generosity, right? But Nabal not only refused to give provisions to David's men, but he even insulted David along the way. So now we get to 1 Samuel 25.10, and this is Nabal's response to David's men. Who's David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each taking, who are each breaking away from his master. So let's just look at that a little further. The fact that he says who is the son of Jesse tells us that he knows who David is because David was the son of Jesse. He wouldn't have said that if he didn't know who David is. And basically he's saying, who is this nobody? He's probably a runaway slave. So Nabal clearly does not honor not only David, he doesn't honor God because the whole countryside knew that David had been anointed by God to be king. So he didn't, he not only didn't honor David, he didn't honor God. David became offended. And rightfully so, he had a right to his feelings. Didn't he? Come, come on, Carlos. He had a right to his feelings. He was rightly offended. Do I remind you of anybody? Okay. David became offended and enraged when his messenger delivered this message from Nabal, and he immediately made preparations. He took 400 of his men, and he was going to just basically go and kill Nabal and his entire household because that's what they deserved, right? But one of his men informed Nabal's wife of what was about to happen. Now, Nabal's name means foolish. He ended up with the name that fits his character. His wife is Abigail. Her her name means my father is joy. Isn't that a lovely name? Love that translation, my father is joy. 
Abigail, unlike her husband, was a wise person. A wise person. So she immediately set to work preparing food. And she got a bunch of food together and she put it on the donkeys and she went out to meet David before he could get too far. She actually got on the ground. She humbled herself before David and she made an appeal to him. She asked him to forgive the slight and she even took responsibility for it herself as though she had done it. And her reasoning as to what she's trying to get from David makes a lot of sense. Here's how it goes. Now we go to 1 Samuel 25, verse 28, and 30 and 31. Here's the words of Abigail. Please forgive the offense of your slave. She's speaking of herself. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Because my Lord, and when she says my Lord, she's speaking of David, is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you all your days. And that's actually our title today, Evil Will Not Be Found in You. And she went on, And when the Lord does, when the, the Lord God does for my Lord David, in accordance with all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and appoints you ruler over Israel, This is how we know that everybody knew that he was going to be king. This will not become an obstacle to you. This, this, which you are thinking of doing to Nabal, will not become an obstacle to you or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause. Oh, without cause. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting point of view. Without cause. And by my Lord's having avenged himself. In other words, David... You've been called by God for great things. You have been anointed by God to be king of Israel. You're even a forerunner of the Messiah. And so many of your writings, David, speak of the Messiah. Do not let petty offenses become an obstacle to you achieving what God has for you. Don't dirty yourself with the shedding of blood, to avenge yourself. Vengeance belongs. Thank you. Vengeance belongs. Ah. So David sees the wisdom in Abigail's appeal. Now we go to verses 32 through 35. Here's David's response. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed Be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives who has restrained me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, there certainly would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. Abigail's wisdom kept David from seeking his own revenge instead of letting vengeance be done by the Lord. As it rightfully should be. And now we have Romans 12.9, which tells us, 
vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. I will repay. So we see that Abigail's wisdom, what he calls her discernment, kept David from bloodying his hands, which would have undermined his God-given mission. David's rash anger could have destroyed his effectiveness as the king of Israel. Now, if we could just pop back to verse 28 for one second. If we are fighting, it says here, this is Abigail saying to David, my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil will not be found in you all your days. If we're fighting the battles of the Lord, we don't want evil found in our days. And this goes for each of you. This is not just for King David. This is for you. Because you all have a God-given mission, don't you? God has given you your own unique way of representing him in the world. You could, if you wanted to, smuggle in grief, now let's go to, uh, let's look at verse 31. We've got um, the next one. No, yes. An obstacle. We've got an obstacle. We've got a troubled heart. You want that in your God-given mission? Do you want that dirtying up your God-given mission? You want an obstacle? You want a troubled heart? Dirtying up your God-given mission? So we see that David was reviled by Nabal, but that David did not revile in return. And sure enough, God did take vengeance. Isn't that amazing? Let's read verses 36 to 38. Here's how the story goes. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was having a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was cheerful within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. How many people know that you, you can't talk to a drunk or stoned person? If you are dealing with a spouse or a family member or a friend who is intoxicated, that is not the time to talk to them. They can't hear you, they don't know what you're saying, and they won't remember in the morning. But in the morning... See, that's how wise she is. She waits till the morning. He sobered up. When the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things. And what happened? His heart died within him so that he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And guess who got to marry King David. <laughs> David looped back and circled back and married Abigail. And she became the mother of a few of his sons. I forget which ones. Absalom, maybe? I'm, I, for, I forgot. But of course, in revile, being reviled, in being reviled and not reviling in return, we have, of course, the supreme example of Jesus, don't we? Let's read what Peter says in First Peter 2. He says, 
Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow his, in his steps. He who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Here's the thing. Jesus had the power to insult in return. There were people doing some bad things to him, and he had the power to let them have it. We see in Matthew 26:53, he's saying, What are you thinking? Do you think I can't appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? I can do that, he says. Yet he didn't do it. He allowed himself to be what? Reviled, spat upon, slapped in the face by the high priest, falsely accused, tortured, scourged, crucified, humiliated in every way all without choosing to retaliate. And we look to Isaiah 53, 7, which says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. So, I have two conclusions for you. When we take offense, this is number one, when we take offense and take action to satisfy our need for vengeance and our offended feelings, which I have a right to, and I have a right to express my feelings too, because they're mine, we add a new problem to the first problem. Instead of defusing the first problem and rendering it powerless, we add to it. We add fuel to the fire. We inflame our pride. Oh, because my feelings are so important. Instead of remembering that we are slaves. Remember Nabal accused David of being a runaway slave? Do you know that Jesus called himself a servant? And that We once were slaves to corruption, but now we're slaves to righteousness, and we are Christ's slaves, the word tells us. We must not be afraid to call ourselves servants and slaves and to be lowly in our estimation of ourselves. We must not be afraid to say no to our pride. So number one is that we... Add with our pride, with our righteous indignation, with our offense, we add to the problem of the original offense. And number two, when we take offense and take action to satisfy our offended feelings, we undermine our God-given mission. God has plans and purposes for every single person in this room. He wants you to be his ambassador to spread the message, the good news of salvation through Jesus, 
to those who are lost. And the whole world is lost. It's a lost world. And he has work for you to do, doesn't he? If there's anybody who doesn't know that, I hope you'll come and talk to pastor or a pastor, someone, Pastor Carlos, somebody. I didn't know I had a God-given purpose. I didn't know I had work to do in Christ Jesus. If you didn't know that, talk to someone about it because everyone has a mission. Everyone has a mission field, even if it's your children, even if it's your grandchildren, even if it's your neighbor, your Muslim neighbor that you try never to talk to because I don't know what to say to my Muslim neighbor, too, too crazy there. That's your mission field. That's your mission field. Your friends in school, that's your mission field. So if you dirty yourself by the, what would David had been, for David would have been the shedding of innocent blood. For us, it's thorns of offense. What kind of ambassador are you then? How can you be a Christ-like ambassador if you're not Christ-like in your behavior? How many people just need to be reminded over and over that Jesus did not come to, to be served? He came to serve. Our model, our model is a servant. Not, a, not someone who came to be served. Who are we to expect that we should be treated as anything more than the servant of Jesus Christ? So those are my two ending points, and I will end now with uh, a summing up that comes from Peter again. Let's listen to this. I'll read it nice and slow. And this is our, this is our summing up. To sum up, all of you, you, all of you, be harmonious. Be sympathetic. Be loving. Be compassionate. Be humble. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Oh, you insult me? I bless you. For you were called for the very purpose that you would inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace. Oh, you want to hurt me? I want peace with you. And pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous And his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against evildoers. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be in dread, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. 
always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. That's your mission. There's your mission. Wondered what your mission was? To be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. But how? With a wagging finger? With a raised voice? With exasperation? Nah, he knows. With gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. And keep a good conscience. You don't want things dirtying your conscience because you really blew it in the way you responded to this person or that. So that in the thing in which you were slandered, those who disparage your good behavior in Christ, they're going to be put to shame. Not you. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Can't say it better than that.